Broadcasting on WCPT 20 Chicago's Progressive Talk and AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show, brand new to you edition of it. And this is one where I'm going to just be gushing the entire time because I stumbled upon this guy a few years ago and I couldn't stop laughing. He has come out with his book, uh, Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse. He is on social media and he absolutely owns social media. And he is seriously one of the funniest human beings I have ever ever heard in my entire life. Joining me right now is Brittle Star, a.k.a. Stuart Reynolds, kind enough today to join us and talk about his comedy and his book. Hi, Stuart. Uh, How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Plus, also, if you feel you, the need to give me more compliments, I'm ready. Oh, Go you're you're going to get a lot because I, I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. On the back of your book here, and by the way, here is the book for everyone out there. Uh, the On the back of the book, you've got a nice little thing from Gaffigan. And that is kind of and i and I'm, you know i don't want to really necessarily i'm not here to inflate the ego but you are of that level of consistency is funny you are wow. you know gaffigan that is you are you are one of the funniest people i have ever ever seen and i can't tell you how much i appreciate it because like i said there have been times like we were going through the pandemic that's when i first discovered you and some of your videos going through the pandemic and they were an absolute godsend be able to laugh during that god awful time well, I mean, it's nice when you have a captive audience like that. You know what I mean? That's it's fantastic. What else are you gonna do? You've ran out. You've already watched every episode of The Office on Netflix. You might as well move over to me. So. Uh, I saw there was a, I think, a tweet you put out there. You're on social media, and I do highly encourage everyone to find Brittle Star on social media and and get a good laugh there. But the, you put out a tweet. I think it was on in December seventh or so, where you talked about you know at 36 your your company imploded. 10 years ago, you started doing social media videos, and here you are now, and you've got your first book. Talk a little bit about this, because you figured out, I'm I'm amazed to find out how you figured out social media so much better than a lot of other people have. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's probably contestable, but uh, (laughs) I think, you know, uh, it's... It's been a wild ride for me. I think I'm, I'm I'm thankful that I came into social media content creation in its most crass naming um, in, at an older age. And that kind of made me appreciate the fact that like when I was growing up, you couldn't fathom the idea of making stuff on your phone and then having access to the world. Like, I, you know, I might take a picture or do a video or something and it's not always on my phone. I have a setup as well. But um, if I could do something on my phone and then I could hit a button and then hundreds of thousands of people can enjoy that right away, like that's phenomenal. But I could never have imagined that when I was growing up. So I'm kind of glad I came into it. And I'm, there's still like a little bit of a magic aspect to it to it now. So I, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of this idea that, you know, like I grew up when I was my, in my teens, I was in a band. And we'd make demos. And if we wanted people to hear them, we'd have to make other cassettes and mail yeah. them to them and wait a week. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, there's a band in town called Dury in Minneapolis who, mm-hmm. once again, a brother and sister, they just started making music. I mean, they'd, he'd been in a bunch of bands, start making music during the pandemic, and they had no other place to put it. So they put it up on TikTok. And next thing you know, now yeah. they're, tour- they're touring the country. And, yeah. it, you know, I will say this. There is there is that old na- narrative that oh you can't be old and and make successful TikToks and social media <laughs> and I'll say you are the kind of the proof it comes down to quality because if you're making good stuff people will show up and and it doesn't you know and, and that can go over the whole realm of things I think sure the, 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 you you make such high quality and good and well thought out videos 
is that your background? Were, were you into writing? Were you doing comedy writing? No, not at all. I mean, like the business that we had that imploded was like a web development business and uh, and a hosting company. And it it was really successful for for a while. And then it just it was hacked. And then everything the wheels came off entirely. And we lost pretty much everything in 48 hours. It was really, Mm. really stressful and, and really horrible. Um, and, and me getting into social media and into comedy was really just kind of an effort to make myself laugh. Cause I was, I remember stopped at the stoplights downtown one day and thinking to myself, listening to the radio and going, God, I don't think I've laughed in ages. Like, I don't think I remember laughing. That's probably not a good sign. <laughs> and I thought, well, I better go fix this. And so I started making these videos just for fun and trying to make myself laugh and just for my own enjoyment. And then I realized other people were watching them and that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to have to like learn like what is comedy? There's stuff that's just funny to me, but that might not be funny to a hundred people or ten thousand people or a hundred thousand people or a million people. So what 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 makes things funny? And it was a whole process. It was a bit of a learning curve. You look back at some of the earlier videos I did in 2013. Some of them are good. Others you're like, nah, I don't think this is worth posting. Why did he post this? But it's, I mean, that's the great thing about digital media is that you post it and you move on and whatever mm-hmm. you learn. Well, and and you you do have. I mean, for someone who wasn't trained in writing, you have a natural ability that you can put in. And this is what I make. I think makes great uh, quality comedy is that just not just your comments. And and we'll get into your music because you obviously music is a big part of some of your videos uh, there. But you have the, the general idea, the general concept. It's the little lines you add in there. And I'll give a great example of this last year. You were talking about spring. You did a video early mm. this year about spring. And there was one line, you, I swear to God, I was on the floor. You said, spring is hungover winter. And I just, and as for someone from Minneapolis, St. Paul, oh God, that's like the greatest <laughs> definition of spring ever. And it's little things like that. I mean, your consistency on the concept, as well as also the quality of the jokes that you insert in, you know, it's, it's sensational. Well, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate hearing that. I mean, the one thing for me that I've learned over the course of just creating stuff is when I realize that I'm competing with all of my heroes, meaning not not necessarily literally competing with them, but that idea of like content is so accessible to books are accessible to us, music's mm-hmm. accessible to us, videos are accessible to us, movie, TV, whatever. You can get whatever you want right away. And that means that when you create something, when I feel like when I create something, I'm putting it out there into the world people are choosing to watch my video over the video of my hero or choosing to listen to my music over the music of my heroes. So I better try. I better try to do something decent and I better try to maintain some sort of level of quality as it were. But I mean, that doesn't always, at the same time, that doesn't always bear true. There's stuff I'll really try hard on and it doesn't do as well as something I've done really quickly. And I'm like, this is a throwaway stupid idea. And everyone goes, yeah, this is your best work. And it's like, okay, (laughs) all right, whatever. Well, there have been many cases about that. I remember the old... TV show WKRP in Cincinnati said they did it. They decided to give the writer, the, the studio, what they wanted, and they did every cliche they ever could. And it ended up being one of the most popular episodes. It was the yeah. episode where Johnny <laughs> Fever got soberer as the more he drank, you know, and all yeah. the different things in there. And it's kind of one of those things you don't. I've I've had the same thing. I've had concepts where I was like, okay, this is not going to work, and then it ends up being, you know, for weeks afterwards, people are talking to me about, oh, that was such a good thing you did. It, it is funny how perspective changes, but you know, it also gives you the the humility, the 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 ability to be humble and say, maybe I am, my, my perception on this might not be yeah. completely right. 
Exactly. It's, it's a good sort of wake up call to realize that you don't have the Midas touch all the time. You can't, it's not everything I touch turns to gold. That's for sure. A lot of it turns to something horrible. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's that idea of you just keep going, that you keep creating. It's the, to me, it's I also, I, my son hates when I, my oldest son, Owen hates, he loves the Beatles and loves McCartney and he hates when I use this analogy, but I think it's like, it's like Paul McCartney. Yes. I'm comparing myself to Paul McCartney for every Hey Jude. There's like a million temporary secretaries. And like, there's like a million horrible songs that are just like, I don't know, let's try this, but you hit gold every now and then. So that's okay. Keep going. <laughs> you, you did hit gold. I mean, I was looking back on your career a little bit. You, you did have, it sounds like, success in Canada with some marketing campaigns. But you kind of refer to that where really things, at least I found it took off, was during the pandemic. It almost kind of was a perfect storm coming together that a, a, a person like you who does humor as way you did, it just, it, you didn't need a big studio. You didn't need to go into the downtown. No. You could do this at home and you could, yeah. and your relatability was there. It's, it's kind of interesting how that, that trajectory kind of happened for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, during the pandemic, it was such a, I mean, first of all, I think that we keep kind of trying to forget about it. We're yeah. like, yeah, it's, we're fine. Everything's cool. It's all right. Don't worry about it. No one think about that thing that happened that was consumed the globe for three years. Um, and there's obviously a lot of PTSD stuff happening currently now as well. As we get back into winter season, all that kind of stuff, people are like freaking out. And it's like, everyone calm down. We know what to do. Um, but at the time. I feel like it was such a serious time. It was such a scary time. We had never, everyone who was alive, essentially alive and certainly, you know, engaged in society had never gone through something like that before in yeah. their lives. And it was terrifying. And I think that for, you know, for my perspective, a lot of the public health messaging that was happening in Canada and a lot of the, you know, the, the health messaging that was happening in the States and elsewhere, it was like, it was, it's a really hard sell to say to the public that the whole notion of science is we think this is what the thing is we're probably going to be wrong. We might change this tomorrow. And everyone's like, oh my God, just figure it out. And you're like, it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought there was an opportunity for me to take some of the public health messaging and kind of chew it up and digest it and, and spit it out in a format that it was a bit sort of like, okay, all right, all right. I don't have to panic this. We're doing the best we can. We're taking our best guesses and that's, that's all we can do. Well, and there's a fragility to us that we, we sometimes think we're invincible you know, yeah. in, in, especially in the United States. I mean, this this concept of, no, what do you mean I can't go get buffalo wings and watch my favorite sports team at a bar? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's this kind of mentality. And the reality is, is I think that this was the wake-up call that, oh, no, at any point, the earth could decide to wipe us out if we wanted, wanted to. Yeah. And, you know, we should kind of keep that in mind, not in a doom and gloom, you know, 13th century cult sort of way, but more of a, you know, hey, you know, it, you know we, we have a lot we should be grateful for. And turning it in and looking at the little things and the day-to-day -day things and the day-to-day -day perspective, I think that that's why it was what you did during the pandemic was so successful, at least for me. Uh, I know I'm kind of in the target demo, 55-year-old <laughs> dad, but I mean, at the same time, I just, I mean, everyone I've told about your stuff has said, oh my God, this guy's brilliant. And I said, I know. And, and so it, it really did come together perfectly with the right tone and everything. Well, I mean, I think the big part of it, certainly during all the, the stuff I did through the pandemic, there was a real element of, oh, okay, it's not only me that thinks like this. It's not only me that's thinking this. Okay, good. Because, you, I mean, especially, I mean, it was everywhere, I think, both in Canada and the U.S. and around the world. But there were people that just couldn't process what was happening, and they had a kind of an angry reaction to it, exactly as you said. Well, I, I should be able to just go get wings and beer, and it should be fine, and <laughs> yeah. there should be no problems. I only have to think about myself, right? 
And of course, the pandemic proved that that's not the case. As you said, the world can just decide, ah, I'm just going to wipe these guys out and start fresh. And why wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 that idea of, uh, you know, you can you can you're not alone. It's not just the loudest voices in the room aren't always the smartest. And there's a whole yeah. bunch of people who are like, OK, I thought I was going crazy, but it looks like I'm not. It's it's I'm 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 right in the way I'm thinking. Ah, uh, yes. I, yeah. You, you sized up you know, America during that whole thing. You want to put the horse dewormer where exactly? Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, and, and you're opposed to open, and open relationships. All right, whatever. You know, okay, fine. I'll, all right. let it, I'll let it be a surprise, a discovering journey, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Brittle Star's joining us right now. I want to give you as well with the holiday season here, I want to give you credit for what is a lovely, lovely song uh, that you guys did. Uh, you did this actually, I believe it was last year in the style of uh, the Pogues fairy tale of New York. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a song basically asking for a different, a different holiday song than Mariah Carey, basically. <laughs> exactly. That was a, I mean, there was a, I wanted to write something funny about Mariah Carey's song. Cause I mean, I, I was shocked to find that it's almost 30 years old and it's like, yeah. man, she's made so much money. When is, when do I get my piece of the pie? And I should do that by making fun of hers. And uh, then I ended up doing it. And I wrote as I wrote the song and I finished it. I remember thinking to myself, "Damn it! I've just meant I've written this sentimental tune. Like, how did I? I meant it was supposed to be funny, and now it's kind of like kind of funny, but also a little teary. Which is, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm proud of it. It's it turned out well. Well, and and once again, you had a lot of music experiences. It, you know, you the name Brittle Star is metal. In fact, I saw an interview that you did that was actually uh, you know you're trying to come up with a band name, correct? That's right. Yeah, I was I was working with a musical hero of mine, Stephen Duffy, who was one of the founders of Duran Duran, and and he was helping me remotely, helping me write this album in two thousand three. And I thought, there's no way anyone's going to wear a T-shirt with Stuart Reynolds on it. It's just, I mean, it's a fine name, but it's not a cool name. So I got to pick something else. My oldest son had this Marine Life book when he was three. We'd read before bed, and there's a whole section on starfish called Brittle Stars. They're the spindliest, ugliest of the starfish species, and they defecate out of their mouths and see through their tentacles. And I was like, cool, I'll take that. I'll just jam those words together. That's I can fun. identify. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, but that's good. Going back to the, the, the song you guys did, and it, it and it actually has some revel, relevance now with uh, the, the passing uh, on, on with the Pogues. And, and it, it, yeah. it just, it was, it, I, I think it should get played itself. I think it is a very good song overall. Oh, I appreciate and, that. Thank uh, you. you know, your music, and that's not just the only one if you go watch a lot of his videos the music comes through you definitely have got the music chops oh i appreciate that it's a way to scratch my itch i mean i grew up in bands and stuff and writing music since i was a little kid and uh this this allows me to i'm freed from the shackles of any one genre now i can be like i think i'll write a country song about this or i want to write a, <laughs> a glam rock hair metal song about this let's do that then It's the Matt McNeil Show, brand new to you to show. Brittle star Stuart Reynolds joining us. The book is Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse, uh, Survival Tips for the Dumageddon. <laughs> it's uh, a very fantastic, very witty book with a foreword, if I may, Brittle Star, a foreword by Ryan Reynolds. We're not related. I will not be able to write the foreword for your book. Signed, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, you you're i mean obviously you're a canadian comedian and you're yep, very yep. very funny you're it's unapologetically canadian as it should be but there is this appeal here and i think talk a little bit about when writing and obviously writing about your countrymen writing about your country sure. but as well the perspective you have from the north looking down at the united states and and kind of how you see it here and how it got conveyed into the book 
Well, I'll tell you, the first thing that stands out as, as far as the difference between sort of, you know, where the book was written by who it was written, me, in Canada, compared to, you know, I, it's an American publisher that the book is through. And I remember getting the first uh, edit through. They send you these, you'll send your manuscript through on the before the deadline, ideally, and then they come back to you with this thing, and they've got all the changes listed. And uh, I remember opening the file and seeing 3,000 changes, and I was like, oh, my God. What have I done wrong? Like, how many things could I have gotten wrong? It's all just my opinion. What? How, how is this possible? And I, you have to approve every change. And I would go through and be deleted a U, deleted the U, deleted the U, deleted the U, and it was just all the Canadian spellings that they changed. Um, but I mean, you know, it's it's funny because I, I think there's like a there's like a smugness that Canadians have of like, well, we're not like America, and it's like, well, I mean, that's a big part of our identity is the fact that we're not America, uh, whether we like that or not. That's just part of our identity. Um, but at the same time, we're also remarkably similar. So, I mean, yeah. this notion that, you know, the horrible stuff that we see happening on American news on CNNs and Foxes and stuff is just going to stop at the border is ridiculous. It doesn't stop because, I mean, the, the airwaves don't stop. The Internet doesn't stop. And uh, my whole shtick is that this is that, you know, the stupid doesn't need a passport. It doesn't matter where you are. There's just different types of stupid. The one thing I will say about the difference between Canada and the U.S. is that I, I equate uh, Canada and the U.S. to like a sibling relationship. And it's like when your older sibling got acid washed jeans and you weren't allowed to get any yet because they were too expensive. And then you had to wait like three years. And by the time you got them, they were already kind of out of style. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of the, the, the thing that's happening. I noticed a lot of similar politics happening in Canada now that was happening six, seven years ago. And I'm, and that's the, that's horribly embarrassing as a Canadian. You're like, we saw what happened. Yeah. We saw, like we're seeing what the, we don't, the acid wash jeans are out of style. We don't have to wear them. That type of thing. <laughs> were they ever really in style? Do we really well, want to go exactly. down that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, I actually refer to it kind of similarly too. Now I've, I've gone to Canada multiple times, been to Toronto, lovely town, sure. uh, driven across it. And of course I've been to the mighty Metroplex of Thunder Bay often. And Fantastic. You know, it, it's, it's magnificent. And, uh, you know, I go up there and you're right. It, it is a different country. You go up there, go to Winnipeg. It's a very different country. Yeah. But at the same time, there is a familiarity there. And I always said it, it feels like uh, the 2.0 version. And, and it's like, because even though you might follow us a little bit, you kind of worked out some of the kinks, some of the, some of the, why, why is this not loading? Oh, Canada. Now it works fine. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it, there is a, it's kind of, I mean, and I don't mean that in a kind of a, a negatory sense, because obviously Canada is its own place. It's, I don't, it's not a carbon copy of the United States by any means, but it no. is, they, you guys do seem to have figured out a lot of things we can't figure out down here. I mean, that's very flattering, the very a slightly romanticized version of Canada. But I mean, I appreciate it and I like it. Uh, and to some extent, it's, it's true. But I think there's there's also like the I mean, you're in, being in Minnesota, you know this. But I mean, the further north you go, the colder it gets. And then your focus goes from the individual to just survival. And you really <laughs> realize that you really rely on your community to get by and to survive. So let's work together as opposed to just for each, ourselves. Uh, that's probably one of the big things that stand out to me between Canada and America is that there is this, still this sense of, even though we, we always complain we lack a sense of I, national identity because it's, it's just quite diverse, um, is that there's just like this Canadian unspoken sort of thing of like, well, we'll stick together, you know, just in case. And I, I feel it's strongly related to the environment. I feel it's like, 
because it could be pretty cold. Oh and yeah. If my furnace. If my furnace goes out, I want to be able to come next door. Uh, type of thing. <laughs> you appreciate comedy more when the outdoors can kill you in about thirty minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's living with that constant fear that makes us so witty. You also obviously should mention uh, your wife shows up in uh, a lot of your videos and stuff like this, and you talk about this extensively in the book. Uh, talk a little bit about that because obviously that is it's you know I think that that's a key to you know as what I do. I mean I talk to my family and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes a, a better person, and I think it makes better comedy, better radio, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think that there is, you know, I'm very fortunate to have Shannon as as a spouse and as a partner and as a friend and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we work together really well. And we have since we met, like we met working together in a hotel, um, not as escorts. We, I was front desk. She was housekeeping. Um, I could have been an escort. I, could, I was good looking back then. Um, but, you know, it's... It, it's important to kind of bring that in because it, it also, again, does a thing where people get to sort of look at their own relationships and look at their own families and kind of be like, yeah, there's some good parts about this stuff. You know, there's not all of it's good necessarily, but uh, there's some good parts and it's good to appreciate that. But I think it's just it's also good to have someone for me. It's good to have Shannon because she is the when my my ego balloons, she is the prick that uh, pricks that balloon. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, you've. <laughs> I like how you phrase that. <laughs> the, you, you've, you've obviously been touring across Canada for the book, and yeah. uh, Justin Trudeau. Did I, did I see you with the Prime Minister of Canada? Yeah, that wow. was so weird because we had done an event. Uh, I was uh, a guest at this event uh, that was being interviewed on stage in Ottawa. And we went to the pub afterwards, and there was a group of uh, political staffers there. And then the next morning, uh, I uh, got this message, and it was it was from the, the prime minister's office saying, you know, are you around this morning? Would you like to come in and meet the prime minister? It'd be lovely if you could come in. I'd be like, oh, okay. So I said to Shannon, I showed her the message, and she was like, well, she swore actually. She goes, I guess we blank and have to. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I'm 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 not a uh, you know, over the top fanboy of the prime minister. But I also think, yeah, he's doing pretty good because he doesn't need money, doesn't need fame. He's just doing it. He's trying to be the best he can be. That's great. <laughs> and so they called us in. And I remember asking Shannon, asked the staffer who was letting us in through the sort of side door of the House of Commons. She was like, so do you do many of these? And she's like, oh, no, it takes like a month for to go through security background clearance to get in this like this entrance. We're going in. You're not a visitor. You're you're like an invited guest. So this doesn't happen a lot. And we went in and had this chat. I was expecting a photo op and that was it. But we got led into the prime minister's office. We sat down. We discussed things for about 20 minutes. And I was like, I, I, at one point, I honestly, honest to God, at one point, I said to myself, I got to just, I got nothing else to say. Uh, like this, this is it. Brittle star. Welcome to the stupid apocalypse. Congratulations on the book. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you. All right. Take care. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 